All right, once again, I want to read Ezra 7, verse 10, a verse we're going to read over and over and over again today. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Well, once again, Happy New Year. And as the years go by, it seems that less and less people I know make New Year's resolutions. I guess they figure, what's the point? I'm not really sure. So I've decided today to take a a little bit of liberty, or maybe a lot of liberty, to make a few resolutions for you. But it's not really a few, because I think it comes out to five. I hope and pray and resolve for you in 2019, number one, that you will read your Bible and pray every day. Number two, that you will attend Sunday service most weeks. Number three, that you will join a community group or a serving team or both. Uh, Also, number four, that you will seek to live for God everywhere you go. And in the process, number five, you will teach others about Jesus with your life and with your lips. With your life, the way you live, your lips, and speaking to them about Jesus. Why? Well, there's many reasons, but one is so that you would experience the hand of the Lord upon you, and you would be, the title of our message today, a blessed and balanced believer. Not to mention, you would be a blessing to others. Ezra, Ezra, not a widely known Bible person. His name means the Lord has helped, and he is a hugely important biblical figure for a number of reasons. Uh, Ezra led the second group of exiles back to Jerusalem from the Babylonian captivity. The major part of of Jerusalem being conquered by the Babylonians happened in 586 B.C., they, the people of God had disobeyed God and were disciplined by God. They basically were like, well, we really don't need your help. And so God said, okay, let's see how you do without my help. And the Babylonians came in and conquered them. Uh, eventually, the uh, Babylonian Empire fell, and then people started to come back from the area to Jerusalem. And Bible scholars call this the second exodus. The, the first group came back with a fellow by the name of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel's major goal was to rebuild the temple, and he came back about 538 B.C., and you can actually read about him, what he did in Ezra chapters 1 through 6. That's why sometimes chapters 1 through 6 is called Ezra book 1, and chapter 7 through 10 is often called Ezra book 2. Now, there's 58 years in between uh, chapter 6 and chapter 7, And that's when the events of the book of Esther took place. So Ezra came to Jerusalem about 458 B.C. While Zerubbabel had come to rebuild the temple, uh, Ezra came to rebuild the spiritual condition of the people. Uh, King Artaxerxes of Persia uh, sent him back, sent Ezra back with silver and gold and other items that could be used to reestablish covenantial temple worship in Jerusalem. And about 13 years later, some scholars say as many as maybe 20, about 445 B.C., a fellow by the name of Nehemiah came back. His book comes after the book of Ezra in your Bibles. He's a well-known Bible character, and he came back to build the wall. 
So chronologically speaking, the Bible's not written in chronological time order. Uh, some places it is, but a lot of places it's not. Only Nehemiah's time comes after Ezra's time in the Old Testament until the time of Jesus Christ. But for our purposes this morning, uh, Ezra is a skilled teacher of the Word of God. He is a reformer to a generation that was far from God again. That's right, after years of warning that God was going to let an, an intruder come into Jerusalem, and he finally let the Babylonians come in, even after the captivity in which many of God's people, if not most of them, were taken away to Babylon. Really, a, a kind of a motley crew was left over, and then some other strangers came and moved into the area. A, a new generation has already fallen away from the Lord. Some came back with Zerubbabel. They were excited, but already people are beginning to fall away. Looking back a few verses to verse 6, it says, This Ezra, verses 1 through 5, tells us he was a priest, came up from Babylon... And he was a skilled scribe, some of your versions say teacher, in the law of Moses. Let's stop right there. He was skilled, a good teacher, knew what he was talking about in the first five books of the Bible. So Ezra was skilled in the Bible. Uh, Some scholars believe he was widely regarded as the smartest guy in terms of the Bible in all of Judaism for his day. Uh, Some people also think that he's the author of Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. And the Bible, as it was then and now, is is supposed to be carefully studied by the people of God so, so they could know God personally and so they could know how to live out God's will. Now, Ezra's day, believe it or not, although it's you know, 2,500 years ago, is not so different than ours. Ezra lived in what we would refer to as the post-prophet era. And it doesn't mean there was an error, E-R-R-O-R, era, period of time, E-R-A. And where a lot of people began to discount the Bible. A lot of people just thought it was, a, it was an old book and there was time for, needed for some new ideas. And the way the Bible operated pre-Ezra was something like this. In the past, the prophets received new revelations from God, but now it was the job of the scribes or the teachers to explain the word of God to the people and to bring the word of God to bear upon the times. Ezra is known as a pioneer in in a new way that God relates to his people through the clear teaching of the written word that has already been given. Whereas the prophets were giving out the word of God, Ezra was part part of a new dispensation, a new time period, if you will, where there would be clear teaching of the written word of God that was already been given by God. So, why the change? Why the change? Well, Jeremiah 2.8 was written at a time when the, uh, of the exile and explains the problem. The Lord says, The priest did not say, Where is the Lord? And those who handle the law, those who handle the Bible, did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. The people who were supposed to be the leaders of the people of God had sinned against God. The prophets prophesied by Baal. Now, Baal is the, the god of the pagan nations. Uh, we might say that they were, they were sucked in by the culture gods. They were sucked in by the culture gods. You say, oh, we don't have any of those. <laughs> Success, prestige, 
all that kind of stuff, and walked after the things that do not profit. So what happened was, as they were sucked into the ideas of the culture, they began to live out the ideas of the culture. Nothing wrong with success until that becomes the most important thing uh, in your life. So what is he saying? That the religious leaders didn't know God and didn't obey God, and the people then began to follow their leaders. Six chapters later, Jeremiah 8, 8, the Lord says, How can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? They thought, well, we got the, they thought they had the temple. They could never be conquered, and the Babylonians came in. Now they're like, oh, we have Moses. We have the law of the prophet. Uh, Moses, we have the prophets. We have all this stuff. Well, you know, how can we mess up? And he says, you know, and the law, how can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? Look, the false pen of the scribe certainly works falsehood. What's he saying? What's going on right now among you people, even in captivity, you're, you're here because you should be repenting and going back to the word of the Lord, is that many of the religious teachers, same is true today. Look at the Christian bestseller book, and for the most part, stay away. And, and, and they're not teaching the truth. So let's think about this. Moses and the prophets are gone. Most if, in most of your Bibles, the Old Testament is about 850 pages. And so from the end of Ezra and Nehemiah, there's only about 20 pages left to write in the Bible. That, that's about it. But rather than adding to what's already been written in the Old Testament, God decides now it's time, because of all the corruption that happens among false teachers... It's all over the New Testament. God decides that it's time to raise up a new generation of teachers of the word of God to point people to God and to point people to his coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. So Ezra is considered to be the founder of what scholars call Jewish exegesis. Simply simply put, He's the founder of of the movement of people who are just simply explaining the Bible. Instead of saying, oh, I got this new word from God, I got this new thing from God, let's take what we already have, I'm going to read it to you, and I'm going to explain it to you. And and so he's he's considered to be the founder of that, and, and again, he's brilliant. He's a master interpreter of the word of God. At the very least... Uh, the Lord had clearly given Ezra a special gift of understanding the word of God, a special gift of explaining the word of God, but also he had diligence in learning the word of God. So a lot of times people say to me, I feel called to be a pastor. And I say, that's great. Do you like to read? And And they go, no. I go, will you be called to be a preacher? Yes. I go, and you don't like to read? No then you feel called to talk. You don't feel called to preach, right? Because all, all preachers, good preachers, have to be good readers and not just of the Bible, of just their, their mind is, is pouring in anything they can get into it to be able to be growing in their faith and growing in their walk uh, with God. So instead of receiving new revelations or skipping the hard parts of the Bible, which is pretty much in vogue today. As you go on to read, we're not going to go into it today, but when you get to chapter 9 and 10, uh, Ezra becomes a preacher of holy living. Why? Because that's what God said to do in the Bible. 
And so he's just rebuking people and he's telling people, listen, God said this. You're not doing this. We need to get right with God. And so we, like Ezra, are called to explain and apply the word of God in a simple way and bring the word of God to bear upon the people of God and also on our times and the culture in which we live in, but never to change it. So we are, if you will, not to drag the Bible into our century. We are to drag our century back into the pages of the Bible and learn how to live it out in the day in which we live in. So verse 6 continues. He picks it up and he says, This Ezra came from Babylon, and he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses. Notice this next. Which the Lord God of Israel had given. Ezra, Ezra knew where it came from. Ezra knew that the word of God came from God, and he knew that how important that the word of God was over the opinions and the traditions of men. And a guy like Ezra, he's in the Bible. A guy like Nehemiah, they're in the Bible because they're not afraid to say it. They're not afraid to call out the people who are not teaching according to the word of God or in most cases are twisting the word of God. In fact, Ezra and Nehemiah knew one another. Nehemiah 8.5 says this, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. So you say, why do we stand up when we read the Bible here at Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills? Well, there you go. Nehemiah 8.5. It doesn't say we have to do it. We're just following in the tradition of, of Ezra and the way he did it. Nehemiah 8.8 goes on to say, So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them understand the reading. Another version says that they, that, they, that they read from the book, making it clear as they helped the people understand what God had said in the word. And that's really, I believe with all of my heart, that's what church is supposed to be. That, that the simple reading of the word of God, teaching it to the people of God with the authority of God in the power of the spirit of God. Well, Ezra 7, uh, again, verse 6, we continue with it. And it says that the king granted him all his request according to, look at this, the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Some of the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the, who are those guys? The Nathanium. Some people think it's the temple assistants. Came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month which is in the seventh year of the king. On the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. And the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. It's a long trip, a lot of bandits along the way, especially you know that word would have gotten out that Ezra's traveling with treasure. According to look at this again, like it said in verse six, the good hand of his God upon him. If you jot, just taking notes or just glance down to verse 28, you know what it says there too? that people followed him because the good hand of his God was upon him. So what's clear? What's clear? That the hand of the Lord is upon Ezra. So that's clearly God's part, to put his hand upon his people. So what's your part? What's my part? It's one of those tensions. What's, what's God's part? What's, what's my part? Well, uh, why is God's hand on Ezra for good, and how do I get his hand on me for good? 
Well, look at verse 10. Again, we're going to read it many times. A fantastic verse on being a faithful servant of the Lord says this. For, often that word in the Bible can be translated in our thinking, uh, because. For, because Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Many years later, centuries later, when Jesus was about to die on the cross and ascend into heaven, he said in John 15, 15, at the Last Supper to his apostles, for without me you can do nothing, nothing, nothing of spiritual value can we do. Actually, if we want to say that God controls our life, if he didn't give us breath today, we wouldn't have even been able to come today to church. But when, we, when God says, without me, you can do nothing, that does not mean that we are inactive. Our part is to be faithful to serve the Lord with the gifts he has given us. Now, this is a conversation we get into all the time with people where people say, I don't know what God, gift God has given me. Well, if you're in a community group, ask the people in your group. They'll tell you. If you have good Christian friends, Ask your good Christian friend. They'll tell you what your, what your gift is. Uh, also, a lot of times we don't find out uh, what our gift is until we start to serve. So you're thinking like, oh, maybe I could, I could help with this or, or maybe I could help with that. And, and all, next thing you know, you're just there. I, mean, I got a call at work one time and they said, uh, the youth pastor can't make it tonight. I went at Calvary Chapel, Obridge, and, and they said, can you teach the youth group tonight? And I said, sure. And they said, have you done it before? I said, no. And they said, oh, it's a rather large group. I go, I know, I go every week. And, and so, they, so they said, uh, do you have a sermon ready? I said, about 20. And they said, you have 20 sermons ready? I go, yeah. And they go, why do you have sermons ready? I go, I don't know. <laughs> right? So then I did it. And, and then one of the pastors called me, and I thought they were going to throw me out of the church. And, and he said, you're actually pretty good at it. They recorded it. Yeah, you recorded it? He goes, we recorded it. You're actually pretty good at it. So a lot of times... That, that you don't know what your gift is, to get, roll up your sleeves and you get to it and you start to, and you start to serve the Lord. So, so where do we start? Where do we start? Well, he tells us right here that Ezra had prepared his heart. Another version says that he set his heart. Another version says he determined in his heart or he dedicated his heart or he devoted himself to what? To the service of God. In other words, Ezra was not passive. He prepared his heart to seek, to seek to work in the service to the Lord. No matter what he did, he seems like the type of guy that's going to do it with intense and focused labor. We might say this, that the hand of God, the favor of God, was on Ezra because his heart, his whole being, was set on the things of God. Now, God's hand on you doesn't mean everything's going to go right. And actually, a lot of times it means that when it's going wrong, you know his hand is on you. You're like, why aren't I falling apart at the seams? How am I still, people go, how are you still standing with all of this? And you're like, oh, wow, maybe the hand of the Lord is upon me. He's holding me up. Ezra was anchored in God his mind, his will, his emotions, his loves, and his desires were focused on the things of God. Because of his devotion to the word of God, like any mature follower of Jesus, he set his life's course on the Lord. In our language, we would say 
he's all in. And that affected every single thing that he did and every place that he went. We said this of Jesus before. We, most of us would agree Jesus was all in. And Jesus was a carpenter. Some people think that was either wood. Other people think he may have been a stonemason of some sort. So let's say he was doing dangerous stuff. Was, his, was he focused on his work or on the Lord? Well, I hope on his work. Or he's missing a few fingers, right? But, but, but he dedicated his work each day to the Lord and focused on doing a good job as unto God. Now, uh, as we saw in Nehemiah, he was, Ezra was happy to work with others who have other roles in the kingdom. And the New Testament is clear. We all have a role. And here's the thing we have to get over for the next year coming up. A lot of people say, okay, I believe that we all have a role, but I don't think that my role means very much. Well, do you think Ezra thought that way? He said, oh, no, he couldn't have possibly thought that way. Well, um, compared to Moses, the second exodus is a little teensy-weensy work. Ezra, uh, Moses, they estimate, brought about two and a half million people out of Egypt. Zerubbabel, maybe 50,000. Ezra, some people say only about 5,000. So how does 5,000 compare to two and a half million? (laughs) You're like, oh, that doesn't really matter. It matters to God. And anything you do for God matters to him. Why? Because the things that we do for God, the fruit of that, the byproduct of that, even if it's just serving and people don't want to hear it, we don't understand it all right now, uh, lasts into eternity. So nothing that is done for God, nothing that God does is too small or wasted. And in verse 10, God gives us three simple steps to get us there. With his help, We can be blessed and balanced. We can have the hand of the Lord upon us. And that goes for all of us. Yes, my dear friend, that applies to you. So if you're taking notes, three simple things. First, Ezra had a strong desire to learn God's word. If you want God's hand upon you, have a strong desire to learn God's word. Verse 10, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. Let's stop right there. There's an old expression, leaders are readers. Ezra dug deep into the word of God, so the word of God dug deep into him. Since we meet and know God through the word of God, there was no disconnect for Ezra between loving the Lord and loving the word of the Lord. The entirety of the Bible puts a huge emphasis on the Word of God. The Word of God is how God speaks to us. It it creates, it directs, it predicts, it leads us to God, it shows us God himself. Now, here's the thing that everybody says, a few things that everybody said. One of them is this. Well, I would do that, but I'm just too busy. I'm just too busy. Well, do you think Ezra and Nehemiah were busy? They're rebuilding a nation, for goodness sake. (laughs) Yet, they were men that knew that they were too busy not to be in the word of God, and they were too busy not to be praying men. All people are busy. All leaders are busy. 
Other people will say, well, it's the culture in which we live in. It's just too difficult. It's just too hard to live for God. Let me remind you, Ezra came from Babylon. Babylon was a godless culture. There was no temple. There was false gods everywhere. But he did not let that stop him from pursuing the word of God. Another objection. Many say, I would study more, but I don't understand. All right, now you're intelligent people. When you don't understand, what should you do? Study till you do understand. (laughs) So that's what we are supposed to do. That's why we study so we do understand. Now, there are lots of study books available. Now, some of you are saying, I don't have time to to go crazy with study like you do, Pastor Jim. That's your job. I'm, I'm talking 15, 30 minutes a day. 15, 30 minutes a day. And, and the more you'll do it, the more you will love it. There's lots of study tools available. You can read, can read a, a, you know, through some chapters in the Bible and think, I don't, even, I don't even know what that means. And go on our website. We have through the Bible teachings of so much uh, of the Bible. But the reality is there is no shortcuts when it comes to time. Study takes time. Some of you may be joining a gym for the new year. You don't go once or twice and go, oh, it didn't work. That would be foolish. They're hoping that's what you do, right? They, they, they way oversell those things. They could never accommodate all the people that they sell those things to. But they're hoping that's what you do. But that's what a lot of people do. They read the Bible once or twice. They go to church once or twice. They go, it didn't work. You know, some people, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years of dysfunction, they expect one trip to church is going to undo it all and is going to fix it all. Now, can God do that? Yes, he can. Are you in the place where you're ready for all that to happen? Probably not. Probably not. And so study takes time. And and the interesting thing is we have more study tools than ever, yet right now we are considered to be a biblically illiterate generation and specifically pretty much a biblically illiterate church. You see, I could have just started with the three things. And we could have been out of here in 25 minutes, and some of you would have said, oh, we love the shorter sermons, Pastor Jim. But by giving you the history, what am I doing? I'm pointing you to the fact that God gave his word. It's important that we understand it, but there's going to be a lot of people that are going to come along, and they're going to shave it, or they're going to make it up as they're going along. And so I'm giving you the history so you understand that God raises up people in time to change the course to change the way things are going. So we invest our time in studying the word of God. And just as study takes time, the the benefits of study take time for God to work them in you and for God to work them in the hearers or the people that you tell about the things of God. So like Ezra, we have to be committed to God's eternal plan and his teaching us about himself in his word, or else if we don't do that, we truly will not know God. Do you ever have somebody say something about you and like, that person doesn't even know me? I feel that way from God all the time. Because much of where people are today in Christianity, including pastors, is in the land of opinion. Oh, well, I think. The Lord had no problem telling the people in exile, well, you're in the mess that you're in, which you seem to be unwilling to see because of all the people you're listening to that said 
Well, I think. Well, number two, Ezra had a strong desire to live God's word. Ezra had a strong desire to live God's word. We're still in verse 10. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. To do it. Long before Nike came up with it, the Bible had it. Ezra wanted to do it. You see, it's very interesting. We'll stop right there. Ezra's loving the Lord was seen in his living for the Lord. There was no disconnect there either. He didn't, he didn't say like, you know, oh, you know, like some people like, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you, and then you won't, even, you won't even give you the time of day. No, he definitely understood that there was a deep connection between loving the Lord and living for the Lord. There's an old joke that goes around in pastor circles, goes like this. A, a man walked up to a pastor after the sermon and, the, and said to the pastor, that was a great sermon. I loved it. That was awesome. You did such a great job. It was great, Pastor. Congratulations. To which the pastor just replied, well, great sermon, huh? I guess that remains to be seen, doesn't it? You see, it's not a great sermon for you or I if none of us go out and live it. There must be a connect between what we learned and then what we live. The old story of A.W. Tozer, a young man walked up to him one time and was talking a bunch of spiritual mumbo-jumbo. And Tozer just looked at him and said, young man, are you a friend of Jesus? He goes, what? I asked you a simple question. Are you a friend of Jesus? And the young man sort of just stumbled over himself. And Tozer said this, well, Jesus himself said, you are my friend if you do what I say. So are we a friend of Jesus? Do we do what he said? Do we do what he says? Or is this just some sort of a thing we do on Sunday? You see, this is so important. It's one thing to learn God's word, but it's another thing to live it. They are not the same, but they are deeply intertwined. Acts, the beginning of Acts begins this way, Acts 1.1. He says, the former account I made, O Theophilus, that's who Luke is writing to, Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Jesus not only knew it, but he also did it and he taught it. One of the dangers of study is being more intellectual than, than, than real, than, than actually practical. I mean, it's easy for any of us, it's, and, and the worst danger is me, for us to come here and listen to a sermon and think, oh, I heard it, therefore I've done it. No, 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 no. We hear it, and then we go out the door to go do it. And so that's a, a large part of a lot of people. They are, they are disconnected from, from their learning and their doing it. They have seemingly forgotten that a Christ, the Christian life is a life to be lived. Now, do we all fail at the Christian life? Some of you seem confused. You, you all do. You all do. New Year's resolution number six, to fail less. <laughs> we all fail at the Christian life. Does the, does the word of the Lord, does the word of God bring the knowledge of sin to us and our failures? Yes, it does. But that doesn't mean that it's bad. That means that God wants to help us. Remember, when God convicts you of your sin, that's not him saying, well, you're a piece of junk, you're a piece of garbage. That is an invitation to further intimacy with him. You know, when in a marriage, when one spouse says to another, you know, you've been doing this and it's really not good or something like that, you can take it as criticism. 
Or you can take it as saying, you know, if we get this better or we get this right, it's actually going to make us closer. Sadly, many, many American Christians view the law of God, the commands of God, as this heavy burden when it's simply God helping us to live according to his way. 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And the truth of the matter is this, you can't live out what you don't know. You can't live out what you, what you haven't learned. Remember when I first became a Christian, all these different things, I'm like, oh, God doesn't want me to do that. God doesn't want me to do that. God doesn't want me to do that. No, because he doesn't want you to do that because he has this for you. He doesn't want you to do that because he has this for you. I'm like, wow, this is all making a lot of sense. He doesn't want me to do all of the things that are damaging to myself. Because what? Because he wants me to do all of these things that are not damaging to myself. That not doing the things that are making me walk around paranoid and, and guilty and, you know, looking over my shoulder all the time and being able to walk with a, with a clean conscience. So you can't, you can't live out what you don't know, but you also really can't live out what you don't want to live out. And so one is a matter of the mind, you have to know it. The other is a, is a matter of the heart, that, that you're just like, okay, Lord, I want to do this. And the key to, to, to living or learning and living is to yield to the power of the Word of God. Read the New Testament, you see Jesus spoke, and just, man, stuff happened. And it's happened in so many of your lives. I mean, I get emails and cards and stuff like that, and you know, people saying, wow, we've changed so much since we've come here. Our marriage has been put back together. Or now I, I actually read the Bible. You know, like the, the, the typical guy in this church comes up to me and says, you know, I've been here for about six months. Used to, used to drink and smoke weed every day and chase women and cheat and lie and all this kind of stuff. He's like, I don't, I don't do any of that stuff anymore. Now I read my Bible. I pray. I, I, I'm serving with people. I'm in a group of guys. And then they're like, Pastor Jim, am I Christian? <laughs> I'm like... <laughs> You might be, right? I suspect, I suspect you might be. And, 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 so, and so you yield yourself to the power of the word of God. A lot of, another danger is knowing a lot about God, but not knowing God personally. Both are the goal. God wants us to have hearts that burn with a passion for him, to live with him and for him every day. And when we get back to our studies in Matthew, we're going to see, uh, you know, in the new year, we're going we're to see that it's not really about being religious. As a matter of fact, some of the harshest words that ever have come out of the mouth of God are spoken against the religious leaders of Jesus's day. It's not about being some phony religious person. It's about being who God has called all of us to be in his word. Ezra sought to see how God wanted the word of God lived out daily in his own life and in the lives of others. James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James 1.25, uh, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, that's the word of God, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So Ezra was blessed because of his strong desire to, to live out the word of God. What does it mean to be blessed? Does that mean that everything goes right for you? No, being blessed in the Bible really means that you are living in a right relationship with God. 
So Ezra wanted to learn the word of God. He wanted to live the word of God. And thirdly, Ezra had a strong desire to teach God's word. They say, where do you get strong desire from? It's from the word seek. He's, he's, he's actively going after it. Ezra had a strong desire to teach God's word. Again, verse 10, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. In other words, he didn't want it all just for himself. He wanted to share it with other people. We have to realize that the word of God is not something that we're not, we're not cul-de-sacs of grace. <laughs> we're highways of grace. It, it comes to us and it keeps on going down the road. And so we are, we are continuing we are continuing in that. And the order here is hugely important. In our hearts, we are to seek the Lord, to know him, to, to meet him in his word, to learn about him, his ways and, and, and what, how he thinks. Then we seek to live it. And as we live it, we model it. We order our life around the word of the Lord. Now, let me give you just a little tip. It's a lot easier if it's done with joy and gladness. If you're like, ugh. Doing my taxes, honestly, because he told me I had to do that. Ugh, right? <laughs> I would tell you to, to cheat on your taxes, but that would be wrong. <laughs> so, but, but really, I mean, that, that's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? No, no, it, it, change will come when we do it with joy and with gladness. And then he says that we are to teach. Well, Ezra was teaching who? He's the premier teacher of the land. So he had, a, he had a large audience. I mean, Nehemiah, let him get up there and do it. But who are we to teach? Our friends, our family members, our coworkers, our kids, everyone we know. We are to teach with, with, with the way we live and, and the way we speak. And, and when we sense a, an open door, I'm not talking about shoving it down people's throat, but when we sense an open door, the, the, the conversation opens itself to be able to explain the things of God to people. Uh, we take it. The, the writer of Hebrews said in chapter 5, verse 12, he says, by now some of you ought to be teachers. I mean, some of people, they sit in the, in, the, in the church for years and years and years. And if you don't know anything, well, then you shouldn't be a teacher. But if you've been here for any length of time, you know more than 99.9999% of the population. Just if you knew the history of Ezra, as being the, the founder of Jewish exegesis. You know more than most pastors in our area know. I can tell you that you do. Because they don't teach that kind of stuff anymore. Now they teach everybody how to get along, how to not spend a lot of time. If you want to grow a church, how not to spend a lot of time with people. That's the worst thing you can do. Spend your time on, 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 on things to keep the ship moving. I don't know. To me, it's just, that's not pastoring. Now, we guard the gospel when we pass it on. You see, we're not supposed to just live out the gospel. We're not supposed to live out the good news of Jesus Christ uh, in, in a corner somewhere. We're not supposed to live it out in silence. It, it's, people say, well, it's, it's my personal walk with Jesus. Yes, it's personal, but there's a public aspect to it as well. We, we are to you know, try to, as best as we can, uh, have conversations with people about the Lord and about the word of the Lord. And certainly we're not to twist it. A lot of, a lot of people want to twist it. You know, people say, well, if I become a Christian, will God expect me to, you know, stop doing A, B, C, D, E? And, and you, every fiber of your being is going, yes, he will, yes, he will, yes, he will. And you go, oh, no. <laughs> like, wait a minute, what my brain thought and what came out of my mouth weren't the same thing. 
Because your brain thought what? Word of God. What came out of your mouth? Fear of man. Fear of what people will think of you. 450 years later, Jesus would be born into a generation where the scribes had lost their way. Ezra was a reformer, bringing the people back to the word of God. And it's so easy for that to happen. How? Because the scribes, the teachers, the pastors, if you will, didn't guard the word of God in their hearts. Didn't guard the word of God in their minds, in their hands, how they worked, in their feet, what they did. And they didn't guard it coming out of their mouths. They began to tell the people what they wanted to hear or to other th- and in other instances to make themselves look good. And when we fail to do that, we will buy into the worldview of the day. And that leads others astray as well. And, and, and what we see a lot of times it produces in the church a real note of arrogance there's a difference between boldness and arrogance. You know, we, we meet people who, who live unbiblical lifestyles. There you go. Think of somebody you know. Are you open and honest and caring and loving about what God teaches about that? Or are you arrogant? Are you acting like you're better than them? Because you're not. Remember, we just all said that we all fail at the Christian life. And we all fail miserably at the Christian life. And so we have to have the same mercy that God has upon us, upon other people, and tell them the good news of Jesus. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, the Apostle Paul, speaking to the Ephesian elders, said this, Therefore, take heed to yourselves. He tells that first. What a great lesson for us, right? Take heed to yourself first. Jesus said, take the telephone pole out of your own eye before you pick the little speck out of somebody else's eye. Take heed to yourselves first. And to the flock among whom which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. In other words, he's saying, he's telling to the leaders, listen, let the truth of God's goodness flow into you and then out of you. So it helps others come to know God and to live for God. Today, I believe that God is calling all of us to take heed ourselves, to to bring the word of God into our own souls, into our own lives, to begin to pursue the call that God has on your life. And he has some call, trust me. That begins with, with disciplined study. You say, I'm too tired when I wake up. Then study at night, but make sure you do it or go to bed earlier. It begins with disciplined study, living for him And telling others. For thousands of years. History has been made. When people. Return to the purity. Of the word of God. And prayer. The the world is changed. When people because of the word of God. And prayer begin living out. The Christian life. And begin teaching it to others. That was true in Ezra's day. That was true in Jesus and the Apostles' day, and that can be true in our day as well. Ezra gave his life to these three things, and you can too. The scripture teaches that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that begins by seeking the Son of God in the word of God. 
by admitting that you have lived your life without God. You've lived your life with your back to him. You haven't really cared. And turning around, turning to God, looking at the cross, seeing Jesus die for your sins, and putting your trust in him. And Ezra was a very good example of this. But Jesus Christ was perfect in all of this. Ezra sought to study the word of God. But John 1 tells us that Jesus Christ himself is the word of God. That he is God become a man. Ezra sought to do what the word says. Yet the scripture tells us that, that, that Jesus did God's will by living a perfect life. And he, did, he perfectly complied with God's will by dying on a cross. And to prove that it was satisfactory, he rose from the dead. And Ezra taught people the word of God. But Jesus perfectly teaches us the way to God and that it is through him and how to know God in a personal way. John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40, uh, Jesus warning the religious leader says this, you search the scriptures for in them, in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. What is he saying to them? Listen, you think, you think just because you go to church just because you know some Bible, just because you, you say prayers and you throw a few shekels in the offering box, you, you think that means you have eternal life? You miss the most important thing he's telling them of the Hebrew scriptures, that they testify of me. Really, if you're, if you're only reading the Old Testament in terms of what we're supposed to do and not in terms of Jesus, then we are reading the Old Testament wrong. He says it right here. It testifies of me. When people say to me, uh, I don't, I don't read the Old Testament. It's a bunch of hogwash. I go, maybe you need to read John 5.39 because they testify of him. He said, goes on, he says to the religious leaders, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Now he's talking about eternal life. You're not willing to come to me so you can go to heaven. Let me ask you a question as we close. Are you willing to come to him? If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, we're glad that you're here. Are you willing to come to him? Start by coming to the cross of Christ and meet the Savior of the world and the Savior of your soul and saying to him, here I am. Please forgive my unbelief. Please forgive my sins. I put my trust in you. Save me, Lord, from my sins and put your hand on me and help me to live for you a blessed and balanced life, knowing your presence in my life every day. Well, let's pray.